Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for being present here in our midst. Thank you for tuning and turning our hearts towards you. As we breathe in deep in this moment, taking in just a bit of the silence and the space from the rest of our week, may we start to listen to your heartbeat. And may we feel your deep love for us, individually and as a church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, the title of this talk today is When You Wish You Weren't in Rome. So it's like when in Rome, but when you kind of wish you weren't in Rome, amen? Jesus and all of the Gospels are occurring in a setting of a powerful empire, the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was known for incredible majesty, for roads, for infrastructure. But most often when we read through our Gospels, we don't really have these types of Roman pictures, empire pictures in our heads. We think about Jesus' interactions with his counterparts, other religious leaders. Frequently, we'll talk about what Jesus is doing with the religious leaders or Christians often in churches Um, not like ours, might go like Jesus versus the Jews. It's not so much that in the Gospels. That's what we've tended to pay attention to. But instead, it's really much more frequently this backdrop setting of the Roman Empire. Now, we might say, well, if that is so prevalent, why aren't the Gospel writers writing more about that, telling you more about Caesar and Herod and all of their workings on It's not necessary because everybody lives in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire expanded then throughout this entire area. And Rome desperately needed Israel in order to reach down to Egypt. Rome needed the grain and agriculture that Israel could provide. But it needed desperately that land bridge to be able to continue to bring, quote unquote, peace to the entire Roman world. This empire came through, and they kept peace by military might, by crushing dissent, and resistance with ruthless efficiency. Taxes had to be paid to Rome as well as to one's local country, taxes which were used to keep Rome in luxury and her massive empire in deep poverty. Rome is large and in charge. And as the gospel writers are writing the story of Jesus, they don't have to tell you about Rome because everyone who's reading the letters lives in the Roman Empire. We don't. So we don't picture large and in charge Rome with all of its brutality. And most of us haven't spent a lot of time reading Josephus. So we don't know the history of the Roman Empire and all of its brutality. Richard Horsley says that the imposition of Roman imperial order entailed not only military devastation and economic oppression, but relentless undermining of the subject people's traditional culture and social structure. As Rome comes in, Rome says, you aren't you anymore, you belong to us. And for as much as it's convenient to us, we'll let you do what it is that you want to do because we want to keep this quote-unquote peace. 
But peace simply means that Rome is not at war. Peace doesn't mean peace for those that live in the Roman Empire. Tacitus, the Roman historian, attributes these words to the British war leader, Calgacus. Is that a word? Let's try that. And he says this, Tacitus says this, theft, slaughter, and plunder, they falsely term empire. And where they create a wasteland, they call it peace. Did you know that Rome reached all the way up to Britain? That you can go to England today, to the UK, and find Roman roads and bridges there, coins there, in Britain. I mean, back to the map. This is not because people thought, hey, I really like those Roman haircuts. Toga totally works with the UK weather system, no problem. This is because Rome said, we want it all. And that power and that empire was crushing, and they brought it to bear in Jesus' day. Rome loved crucifixion. They loved to terrorize the inhabitants of the land that they were moving into. In Israel, Roman brutality started soon after the initial Roman conquest in 63 BCE and continued literally for two centuries. The Romans either killed or sold into slavery an estimated 30,000 inhabitants of Sephoris, which is a town right near where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And some 2,000 of Jesus' fellow Galileans were taken into Jerusalem and crucified on a single day by order of the Roman military commander, Varus. This happened prior to Jesus. Jesus is not the first or the only Jew that Rome crucified. Rome had to squelch any, any insurrection any dissent in order to make sure that they could have the empire running the way they wanted. Roman governors were quick to dispose of leaders and movements that gave the mere appearance of a threat to the imperial order. And this is the world and this is the land that Jesus is living in. Yes, there are discussions amongst the Jewish leaders of his day. Yes, there are sects of political leaders and spiritual leaders. Yes, there are those who've compromised with Rome, the Herodians and the Sadducees. But ultimately, the issue is what's happening in Jesus' day is that there is an oppressor in the land. And yes, they're free to go and worship at the temple, but only because Rome says so. So in Jesus' day... He is in Rome, even though he doesn't want to be in Rome. And everyone is right there with him. What do we do when we live in places and spaces where powers and structures of existence, powers and principalities, exist in such a way as to change the landscape of our world and our life? How do we live? Maybe Jesus can give us some insights into this. Well, for one, Jesus uses this incredible term, take up your cross. That did not cause a question in the disciples' minds. Gee, I wonder what he's talking about. I've never seen someone on a cross before. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24, Jesus says to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What is he talking about? 
Why would Jesus, in a land in the Galilee where he could walk through certain pathways, where he was growing up in the shadow of a city where 30,000 people are being taken, where 2,000 people are being taken, all the way back down to Jerusalem to be crucified, and all of these people are being enslaved and slaughtered, and isn't by the power of Rome, why would Jesus say, hey, you know that horrible symbol of execution? Let's all take up one of those daily. And that will be how the world sees you as my disciple. What is he talking about? And when he says this to them, they have this picture. Not just a picture of death, but a picture of terrible humiliation, of terrible humbling. So let's just hold this image for a little bit. Because Jesus says this to a group of people who are living in this type of world. Not that Roman Empire world, but they're living in the Galilee where there's village life where people are in those insulas together, where they're fishing. And in the middle of those scenarios, in all that we've been talking about so far, we've talked about how little yellow better last week, right? We talked about how the kingdom is small but intensely powerful. We talked about how turn, let, go a few weeks ago when we talked about how do we deal with this power of Rome? Well, sometimes it's to do a subversive trick. And to make sure that they honor your dignity and your humanity, even in the midst of that oppression. But sometimes it means to live in such a way as to reject entirely Rome's imperial system. Love is not only a feeling or an attitude, but it's displayed in concrete actions and even economic actions, such as canceling debts and generous mutual sharing. Can you hear any of Jesus' teachings in that moment? When Jesus is faced with the power of Rome, he starts to speak to villages like this and people who do this. And he says, you know what? Let's cancel debts. You know what? Let's share everything in common. Let's start to subvert this power of Rome by taking up our cross daily, by laying down our life for one another daily. Amongst the powerlessness of the individuals in Jesus' day, Amongst the deep poor of the Roman Empire, Jesus calls for a struggle and a practice within the villages and communities to bring about justice, cooperation, and solidarity. That is what we've been talking about in all of this Jesus Ethics series. That Jesus' teaching doesn't just sit and sound spiritual. It sounds countercultural and it also countercultural to Rome and also preserves the values of God within the communities even though Rome is there, even the power of the empire is there. So he starts using images from the land that he's in, and he talks about a seed being sown. He says the kingdom of God is like that. He talks about a generous landowner who pays the last hired in the day the same equal wages as the first hired. He talks about building a kingdom where even the poor and the crippled And the blind and the lame get to sit at the banquet, at the table of the most wealthy. Jesus starts to teach in such a way as to show us how to live, even within the context of that brutality and that empire. As Rome is saying, here's how you are in charge. You demand power. You threaten people. You execute people. You enslave them. You insist on your way. You insist on your language. You insist on everything going exactly according to plan. Oh, the high priest wants to be the high priest? No problem. You're going to have to pay for that, and we're going to hold your clothes overnight. So you come and you check them out in the morning, and you turn them back to us at night just so you know that we're in charge. 
And what did Pilate want to do? Pilate wanted to walk right into the temple and put up the emperor's standard bearers for the Roman Empire and hang them there. And guess what he found? He found a group of religious Pharisees who stood in that spot and said, if you put those here, you may as well kill us. And as Pilate said, okay, great. And he had all of his soldiers come. The Pharisees fell down, bared their necks and said, fine. And Pilate realized he'd be recalled back to Rome because this type of act does not bring about the peace that passes understanding. This is the type of act that starts a revolution. And as they laid down their lives, they overturned the power of Rome and Pilate let them go and the standards of the Caesar, of the emperor, did not stay in the temple. This is the context of that power. And as Jesus starts to teach these lessons, he's right in line with his community of how do we live with Rome? How do we still hold our values even in the midst of this empire? So Jesus encourages the people to take action, to check divisive behavior, to cooperate with one another, and to come to one another's aid. And instead of imitating the imperial patterns in which the great ones wielded power over others, those who would provide leadership must become servants of others. And Jesus starts to grab that image right even in the Last Supper. And he picks up the basin and he picks up the towel and he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve others. And if you're going to be his disciple, this is the image we see. This is what he means by laying down your life. This is what he means by picking up your cross daily and doing it again and again. It's by constantly choosing to place yourself in the lowest position, humbling ourselves so that we might live out the values of God and not instead become like the Roman world that he lived in. A few years ago, I was walking down the streets of Jerusalem, and um, this kind of stuff happens to me all the time when I go to Jerusalem. It's lots of fun. And I was just walking by myself, and it was probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and it's a party in Jerusalem. There's, it's so fun, and in the new city, not far from Ben Yehuda. And I'm walking by, and there's a whole group of, of friends who are all together. I don't know them. And one guy shouts out, as they're all sitting around this group of couches, outdoor table area, hey, you, are you happily married? Yes, I am. No, no, we're not picking up. Okay, I'm a little scared. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm by myself. No, no, seriously, we're here celebrating the one-year anniversary of this guy's divorce. Oh, geez. Okay. And we don't think it's possible to be happily married. I'm like, okay. And they said, could you come down and tell us? Come sit here. Sure. So I sit there for two hours and talk about marriage with this group of young Israelis. And as we're sitting around and chatting, and this guy says to me, you know, just she wouldn't take the lint out of the dryer. She just, I mean, how can you live like that? You know, how can you just, how can, she, she just wouldn't, and then I would ask her to do this, or she'd ask me, I mean, just, I mean, just got to this place, just so infuriating, and just can't do it anymore. I mean, how do you do that? How can you have a happy marriage when you, I'm like, oh, oh. So my rabbi told me that I'm supposed to lay down my life for one another. So yeah, the lint thing could be irritating. But my rabbi has taught me, my rabbi Jesus taught me, that the way that I live this life is that I don't have to succumb to the power of a destructive tendency in a relationship that instead I can choose to serve. And if I were looking at a spouse that refused to take the dryer lint out, I have a choice. Yell and scream at the spouse for refusing to take the dryer lint out or take out the dryer lint. How hard is that? 
This is a person you've pledged. And I said to this guy, you pledged to love her for the rest of your life and you won't take the dryer lint out? You said for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. I'm presuming that means dryer lint argumentation. It was just too hard. And the power of that conflict, I'm sure it was many conflicts, and I'm sure that it wasn't just this one thing, and they were all super nice and wonderful and a great evening together. But they sat in awe and in shock at this thought that we could be, instead of trying to get served in our relationships, seeking to serve the other. And I'll just speak 16 years of marriage. It's been great. There are bumpy parts too. You know when it is great? It's when we're both trying to outserve the other. It's when we're both sitting there saying, how, what, what today can I do to best love Kevin, to best love Danielle, and then I don't have to be out for my own interest and he doesn't have to be out for his. Instead, we sit here and say, what can I do to be out for their interest? This is the teaching of Jesus and it subverts the power structure immediately of I got to get mine and instead it's what can I give? And it becomes a competition in giving rather than in getting. And this is the way that Jesus is living in a culture of Rome that's all about getting. Rome sees it, Rome wants it, Rome takes it. And Jesus says, let's subvert this, let's lay down our lives here. Let's give to it. As he talks about this, he says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Notice that there's this concept of this. It's not just this one-time death, right? It's that we're constantly laying down our lives and taking it back up again and then laying it down again. No one takes it from me, Jesus says but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my father. When Jesus says, I have this authority, he takes that power away from Rome immediately. Rome's going to come in and Rome's going to crucify him. But Jesus is telling his disciples that he is choosing this and that he has the authority to do so and he's the authority to say no. And the moment we choose it, instead of it happening to us, the power structure flips. And the empire does not get the last word. You see, the cross teaches us that the greatest defeat can be transformed into a victory. Indeed, Jesus' ultimate triumph cannot easily be denied, for his message can still be heard and his suffering can still bring redemption wherever people respond to his call and put his teachings into practice. The Roman Empire is no more. Rome has fallen. That power structure did not survive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel goes into that power structure and says, I will still choose to love God. I will still choose to love my neighbor. And I will still even choose to love my enemy through the laying down of my life and the picking of it back up again and the laying down of my life. Remember Paul talks about crawling up on that altar and being a living sacrifice. Not a dead one, a living one. It's a sacrificial life. This is what Jesus teaches us to do when we're in the midst of Rome. An empire whose power seems unspeakable. When I think of empires and powers now that seem unspeakable, it's very much in our news right now, the power of ISIS or ISIL, the horrible destruction that's being done in the Middle East. And it's been long going. It's not just this one instance. 
And it's complicated. And we all have part to play in it. I think every citizen of the world. But there's a man there who's known as the vicar of Baghdad. His name is Reverend Canon Andrew White. He's an Episcopal priest. And he has been the vicar of Baghdad of the last remaining Anglican church in all of Iraq. Is in just outside of the green zone of Iraq. He's been there for about 13, 15 years. He's been back and forth to the Middle East. He's been for many, many years uh, working on reconciliation between Sunni and Shia. A priest called to reconcile between the two Muslim groups and mediate that reconciliation. He reports that he has been kidnapped, that he has been, his life has been threatened. He needs 25 armed guards to get to church whenever he goes. 6,000 Iraqis still go to this church. The church has been bombed it met multiple times. One year, 11 of his staff members had been killed by terrorists. This is a power. This is an empire. And in all of the midst of this, when he started his ministry in Iraq, he started noticing that he was dizzy, that he was not able to, he wasn't feeling quite right. And he went and he got tested and he has multiple sclerosis. And he has done all of this ministry and all of this work while battling MS. Another power, another empire trying to take over his body. And in the midst of all of this, he shows this clip in this documentary of his getting medical attention. Next year, I'm old. What have I learned in all these years? I've learned what my parents first told me when I was three. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's what I've learned. There's such power in that. To be lying on a hospital bed in Baghdad doing stem cell treatment every few months so that he can maintain the little bit of health that he has, so he can maintain placing himself in significant harm's way to minister to the poorest of the poor. He sits there in that space and says, I know that I am loved. And that power of that love is subverting an empire. The terrorists that come every single weekend demanding that they close, the risk that he takes every day, the clinic that they run, the educational centers, the times when he goes into the worst, most dangerous sections of Baghdad in order to bring communion, in order to dedicate a child, in order to bring a blessing. He runs the risk of the empire and the powers taking him out. But he counters that power by laying down his life and declaring the love of God. He says this, remember, don't take care, take risks. 
And this is a person who lays down his life. This is the way of Jesus. Philippians 2 says it this way. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any, not like a lot, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, rather value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says this to the church in Philippi in the midst of the Roman Empire. Live in humility. Live considering others better than yourselves. This is the example we have. John 15, this is where we see Christ's power come through. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. What happens when we confront those powers? We're in those spaces where we're not sure we can do anything more. When we're dealing with illness, when we're dealing with a difficult boss, when we're dealing with no boss and we really want one, when we're dealing with uh, frustration and divorce, when children have walked away, what do we do in all of those moments? Jesus says in those moments of deep pain and anguish, we pray. He says to them in the Garden of Gethsemane, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he prays. Are we, are you in a spot now where there's a power, where something has come over you or me, where we're feeling as though we just can't stand underneath the weight of that anymore? We just can't do it anymore. I personally got there recently. There was a lot of begging. Prostrate on the floor of my kitchen. God, please. I can't do it anymore. Please show up. Do something. And if you think that begging lasted for like, oh, two, three seconds, no. And it wasn't pretty, but it lasted for a good long time until I got the phone call I wanted to get. There were 20 minutes of, dear God, Jesus, please, please, oh my gosh, please help, 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 please, please, please. I can't do anymore, I can't do anymore. I just can't do it. Take this cup from me, I can't do it. St. Ignatius developed a prayer practice called the Examinant. And in this prayer practice, he says that one of the things that we should do is at the end of our day, we we should live an examined life, and we should look back on our day and note that which is welling up inside of us. Note those things that are, are right here present. And we can look back on our day and determine which moments we're most grateful for, which moments we're least grateful for, and then ask the question, where did God show up in that? 
Where can I see? Where can I examine him at work? Let's take a few moments and do that together. Right now in this space, you can close your eyes. You can fall asleep if you need to fall asleep. But let's take a moment to acknowledge the presence of Jesus in this place with us, with you, with me. And just take a few moments. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And notice the presence of God here in this space. And invite his presence to be with us right now as we just take this moment to think back on our day or on our week and to think back on some of these struggles that we might have been having with these empires in our lives. And as you take this moment, what powers are at play in your life? What emotion is coming and welling up? What concern? What fear? Is it illness? Loneliness? Unemployment? Bills? Marriage? Divorce? Singlehood? Children? No children? Bad theology? a narrative you've been living by that perhaps you don't need to live by anymore, a false image of God, acceptance, approval, what is it that's welling up right now in this moment? A concern for children, stress or anxiety about jobs, And as you experience even the most negative of emotions that might be flowing and rising up in this moment, as you were, that's present, maybe start to ask the question, Jesus, how are you in this? God, how are you present in even this moment right now? How are you at work? Or maybe it's just simply the begging, please be at work. Please be at work even in this. God, please be at work. When we feel powerless and hopeless, when we feel frustrated and angry, when we're overwhelmed, when we feel the powers of this world and the powers of these situations coming in and washing over us, God, teach us how to find some peace. Teach us how to pull back that authority that we can choose to lay down our own lives rather than have them taken from us. When we find ourselves in Rome and we no longer want to be in Rome, will you, God, be with us there that at least we might not be alone?
Amen. Jesus' ethic here in dealing with these powers is that he's suggesting that we should live according to God's values in spite of the powers around us. And we can subvert that power by living differently, exposing the injustices. When possible, we should speak truth to that power, like we talked about with the turn, let go. And we can choose to lay down our lives for one another. And ultimately, when we feel powerless, when we feel like this world is pressing in on us in all these different ways, when we're not quite sure what to do, when our relationships are falling apart, when it's difficult in that moment, when all of that is happening, we don't know how to make it stop and we don't know how to make it turn or change. Seek God's presence in that moment. Find power in that prayer. Love him love others, and even finding love to practice for our enemies. Leaning back into that power that Jesus shows us in that garden. So Jesus teaches us what to do when we are in Rome, even when we wish we weren't. Amen?